We are kicking off a series today called Live No Lies. Live No Lies. Uh, it comes from a book by a, a pastor named John Mark Comer. John Mark Comer is a pastor out in Portland, Oregon. Uh, he actually runs the organization Practicing the Way, and we are taking some of that curriculum from him as well. But this series, based on a book he wrote a few years ago, called Live No Lies, and it's, it's about this kind of the times that we're living in and how to exist in a peace in them. I'm not, I'm not a doom and gloom guy. That's not who I am. I'm more of kind of a sunshine and rainbows kind of guy. I'm happy most of the time. I think that the world is good, that there's so many beautiful things in this life, that people have just an incredible capacity for good, and it's easy for me to see it. That's, that's my wiring, but I'm also not naive, and I'm aware that we're living in some pretty scary moment in history right now. And we can feel it, no matter whether you follow Jesus or not, you can feel the division that we're living in right now. The, the way that the, it's really one way or the other. And I mean, ever since 2016, Thanksgivings with family have been a little bit tense, have they not? It's been a little bit weird. COVID in, in 2020 and 2021 made it worse. It amplified this feeling. But it's not just all the division. There's also this this darkness that seems to be permeating the world right now. We just feel like things are bad. This younger generation that's coming up, they're seeing it, identifying it, and calling it out loud and saying, what do we do about this? The world is breaking. How can we fix it? In this series, our goal is to talk about that. To talk about not the physical aspects of how this world is breaking, because I believe that it goes much deeper than that. And that there is a spiritual battle being fought for our souls and for our society and for our culture right now. And I don't think God is surprised by that. And as a follower of Jesus, I don't think you have to live in fear of it. I think that there are ways that you can stand against it and be strong through it and that we can come into this season that we're living in as a society and be warriors for the right way. Now, I, I know that our culture gets a little bit nervous with these war, these, these war um, language and allegory. It can be a little bit nerve-wracking. I want to read to you from this book by John Mark Comer called Live No Lies, one of his opening statements and what he says. He says, we feel that we are in constant conflict, not just out there in culture or in our digital news feeds, but inside the fabric of our own minds and our bodies. A kind of inner tug of war that is emotionally exhausting and spiritually depleting, a tearing at the fabric of our soul's peace. On paper, everything is fine, so why do I feel so tired? Why am I so worn down, not in body, but in mind? Why do I feel so battered and bruised? Why does every day feel like a battle to just stay faithful and to keep following Jesus? Here's an idea. Maybe because it is. Our generation has a low comfort level with military metaphors and faith. We prefer to think of following Jesus as a journey or a lifestyle rather than a war. But our spiritual ancestors didn't share our reticence with war imagery. They were far more adept at naming the reality of spiritual conflict that we are in today. For centuries, teachers of the way of Jesus used a paradigm that's been lost in this modern era. That of the three enemies of the soul. The world, the flesh, and the devil. That's what this series is about. 
We are going to talk about the three enemies of the soul and the best strategies that we have to stand against them. The world, the flesh, and the devil. And this war with these three enemies of the soul is exactly what the Bible teaches all throughout. The thesis of the book, Live No Lies, is that deceptive ideas play to disordered desires that are normalized in a sinful society. And it makes up the whole of the enemy's strategy to steal our peace and render us ineffective. And so we're going to talk about these three enemies of the faith, these enemies of our souls and of our peace, and talk about how to defend against them over the next few weeks. We're going to build a battle plan. And we're going to start with the first rule of warfare. There is a book that's been studied by generals and leaders waging war for hundreds of years called The Art of War by Sun Tzu. Here's a quote from it. If you know the enemy and know yourself, you need not fear the result of a hundred battles. If you know yourself, but not the enemy, for every victory gained, you will suffer a defeat. And if you know neither the enemy nor yourself, you will succumb in every battle. It's not the Bible, but it's good wisdom. And so let's ask this question first. Number one, I want to answer three questions for you today. That's all we got. Number one, who is the devil? Who is the devil? There can be no mistaking it. We have an enemy that we cannot see. There is a spiritual enemy in this world that has a strategy to destroy you and everything that you love. It is a wicked, evil enemy. And the Bible talks about this enemy a lot. Our enemy is not made a mystery to us through the words of Scripture, but rather he is revealed. In fact, within the pages of Scripture are everything that you need, all the tools to both know yourself and know your enemy, so that you need not fear the result of a hundred battles. It's not very popular to talk about the devil anymore. It's kind of a weird and scary concept, and we'd rather ignore it. But it's so crucial for us to understand our enemy so that we can understand who he is, how he attacks, and how we defend against it. And so here's what the Bible says about our enemy. First, he was created. It's crucial for you to understand this. The devil, the Satan, the adversary is not on a level footing with God. Sometimes in pop culture, that's how we perceive him. We, one of my favorite movies, I watched it recently. It, it holds up. It never, ever gets old is The Emperor's New Groove. It is so good. And, and in that film, Gronk has the evil, he has the devil and the angel on his shoulder, you know, kind of guiding his moral process through the movie. And we've seen this in cartoons going all the way back to the first cartoons that were written. We've seen these images of the devil. Maybe you grew up around church, you heard the story of Job, and there's this argument between God and the devil that kind of enters into a contest. Maybe that gave you this idea that God and the devil are on this level playing field, that they're two sides of the same coin, the yin and the yang, but rather that, that's, a, that's an incorrect understanding of who the devil is. It's just not true. Nothing, nothing is on a level playing field with God. Only the other two parts of himself. God exists in three parts, three aspects of one being, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, or how we see him described in the scriptures. And here's what Colossians chapter 1 says about the Son. 
says he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Invisible and visible. All things, invisible and visible, are created by God. The Bible does not shy away from the fact that there are invisible things in this world. But they were created by God. Rulers, authorities over the present darkness, created by God. There are things that God created that you and I are not able to see. And the Bible talks about these spiritual beings and how they live in a spiritual realm. And there are different kinds of beings described in the Bible, ranging from messenger angels, which kind of look like you and I, but something's off there because every time they show up, the first thing they have to say is, don't freak out. And then there's warriors called archangels, which are these big, mighty warriors. There's seraphim and cherubim, and these are wild creatures kind of beyond our imagination, but they show up every time God is depicted in the Bible. Every time someone is given access to see or enter the throne room of God, we hear about these seraphim and these cherubim. And the cherubs, the cherubim, they were the ones that were closest to God. They had this specific role designed to emphasize and protect God's holiness. They had six wings, and one helped them fly, and one covered their eyes from the presence and the beauty of God, and one provided a covering over God's presence itself. We see them every time somebody goes into the throne room of God, these magnificent creatures in the spiritual realm that exist to worship, glorify, and protect the holiness of God. Uh, uh, they're not the same cherubs that your aunt collects little statues of, the little babies with the wings. Those are creepy, and somebody made them up. Thank goodness. A prophet named Ezekiel sees the throne room of God and describes these cherubs in his book, Ezekiel chapter 10. And he tells us, after he describes, and I'm not reading the description because honestly it's just a lot right now. I did a series last year called How to Fight Back and you can go and listen to that and I explain all of this in much greater detail if this is your thing. But they're very odd looking. The Bible says they're beautiful. I would have to be the judge of that for myself. Uh, in Ezekiel 10, after he's described what they look like, he lets us know that one of the cherubs is no longer in place. Ezekiel is given a prophecy from God about the fall of a king who lived at the same time as Ezekiel. But most scholars agree that in this prophecy, the comparison is being drawn from this king to the devil. And it serves as a bit of an origin story about the devil. It says this, You had the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. The ruby, the topaz, the diamond, the barrel, the onyx, the jasper, the lapis lazuli, that's my favorite, the turquoise, the emerald, the gold, the workmanship of your settings and your sockets was in you. Ezekiel's trying to help us understand that this creature truly is beautiful. The most beautiful creature in all of creation. And on the day that you were created, key word, created, 
they were prepared. And you were the anointed cherub who covers. And so we're getting a clear picture of the devil, his role in heaven is to worship God. And I placed you there. You were on the holy mountain of God and you walked in the midst of the stones of fire, something else in the throne room of God. And you were blameless in your ways from the day that you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. By the abundance of your trade, you were internally filled with violence and you sinned. Therefore, I have cast you as profane from the mountain of God and I have destroyed you, you covering cherub. So the devil is a created being, a fallen cherub, whose job it was to cover and worship God. And in another place, it describes him as a worship leader in heaven. He became corrupted and he sinned because God even created his spiritual beings with this gift of choice. I'll come back to that idea. Now he's here on earth and he's waging war with us and attempting to destroy our society and distract us from God. So your enemy is a fallen cherub, a being created to worship and cover God who chose instead himself and to worship himself and to look into the interests of himself. And so he was cast out of God's presence. He's created. It's important that you know he's not all powerful, that he can't be everywhere all at once. The Bible describes him as only being able to be in one place at one time. He doesn't have a name. It's important that you know that. People gave him a name. The Bible never gives him a name. He is not worthy of one. That's how far he is from being equal to God. He is an unnamed entity. Lucifer is just a, we took a, a, a translation of a word that means morning star. As Isaiah describes him, he describes him as the morning star, meaning he's beautiful. The same thing Ezekiel says. And that word morning star, we translated to Lucifer, which we took and made his name in the 17th century. His name is not Lucifer. Lucifer is a description. Every time Satan appears in the Bible, it can be translated as the Satan. In other words, he does not have a name that we're given. We don't know what it is. That's just important for you to know. He is so far beneath God, not even close to being on the same level. Created being, he's angry. He's obsessed with himself. And he is not worthy of the presence of God. And he's not alone. He has allies. It's the other thing you should know about him. The New Testament and the Old Testament, they both talk about his allies. They call them demons a lot, demon possessions, demons accosting and assaulting people, so on and so forth we see in the New Testament and in the Old. It also talks about kings and princes and principalities of this world. It talks about physical places with spiritual princes and spiritual kings that rule over them. Uh, and so what does all of this mean? Who are these spiritual princes of physical places? Who are these demons that are accosting the living? Uh, Revelations chapter 12 gives us our best answer. In it is a war described in the spiritual realm when the devil rebels. It says this in verse 7, war broke out in heaven. Michael, one of the archangels, and his angels fought against the dragon. And his angels fought back. The dragon and his angels fought back, but he was not strong enough and they lost their place in heaven. 
And the great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with them. Not really super excited about that part. And so the angels were corrupted alongside the devil and cast out of heaven with him. So he takes a third of these angels from heaven down to earth and now they work alongside and in agreement with the devil. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12 it says this, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers and the authorities and the cosmic powers over this present darkness and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Biblical doctrine suggests our enemy works alongside other spiritual principalities to oppose the will of God. He spiritually opposes all things that are good and wages a very real spiritual war against you and me. And he has allies. Now let me take a sidebar here to answer a, a second question, another question. Why? Why would God do this? Why would, he, why would he create this being? Why would he give him this capacity for evil? Why would he cast? This is my least favorite verse in the Bible. It says that he has a war with this really bad, bad, bad guy, and then he throws him to earth, which is where I live. I mean, there's so many other planets, God. Could it, could, why not Mercury? It's super hot there. He'd love it. No. He gets cast out into the same spaces that you and I are in. Why? Why? Why didn't God just create us in this great paradise where we have everything that we need and we can work alongside the earth that we live in and everybody is able to just enjoy life and have peace and be in the presence of God and worship God together? Why are we in this mess that we're living in right now? Well, let me tell you about the Genesis story. You see, God did create you to live in a perfect paradise where you can live alongside the earth and have everything that you need provided for you and live in the presence of God with peace and fullness in your heart every single day as you go alongside of him. And also, all these spiritual beings were in that place too. Most likely, as God is walking around the Garden of Eden, these cherubs are surrounding him because they are always with him, praising him and covering him. And so they're all, we're all there together. But God does not want us to just love him because we were created to love him. Or worship him because we were created to worship him. He doesn't force us to love him. Our God is not interested in forced love. Forced love is abuse. Our God is not an abusive God. And so he provides everything with a choice that he creates. To worship him or not to worship him. To obey him or not to obey him. To love him or not to love him. Even the angels are given this choice. And some of them chose themselves. They chose to disobey God. To move away from God. And so God casts them out of his presence. And they take angels with him. The Satan takes angels with him. And he also took us with him. Because this angel, this cherub who had made the choice not to love God, encounters Eve and gives her the opportunity to disobey God as well, to which she and her husband Adam both 
agree and they disobey God and they're cast out of God's presence as well. And that's why we're living in this brokenness with all the suffering and the sickness and this pain. But it's just important that you know that God's whole plan, that all of the Bible is about how he brings you back into that kind of paradise. That's his whole will for you, his whole desire for you. And even a lot of what Jesus taught was how we can create our version of his kingdom here in this world on this earth. What we can do to drag the kingdom of God into the world that we're living in. That's what this series is going to be about. How, how we can strive to have that kind of peace even in a world where we are living in brokenness and pain and disease and sickness and where we are surrounded by enemies who are opposing us. And so, anyways... Uh, that's what the Bible teaches us about the devil and his allies. They're here. They're working against the purposes of God. But it's just important that you know that his ending has already been written. It's already written. It's already set. It's done. He is destined to be defeated by the power of Jesus. In fact, this enemy is already living in defeat. Victory has already been assigned. It is over. Just because you don't know this devil... Or just because you don't need, what, what, is, what does this say? Oh, just because you don't know Jesus yet, or you don't understand this enemy, doesn't mean you need to live in constant fear of him. Because he is already being defeated. It says that Jesus came to defeat him. First John chapter 3, verse 8. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the very beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy these works of the devil. Jesus came to put out this cycle so that you and I could go back into paradise and drag the kingdom of God into the world we're living in right now. It says this about the devil's end in Revelation 20, chapter 10, verse 10. The devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophets were and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. The Bible does talk about hell. I don't like to talk about hell. Hell is very uncomfortable and we don't enjoy it. But the Bible does talk about it. It's just really important that you know that what the Bible teaches is that God didn't create hell for you. That he created it for the devil and his allies. And that the only way we end up there is if we don't accept the free gift of God that Jesus offered us by dying on the cross. And so let's go on. So we know that the devil is going to end. We know these things about him. Jesus talks about the devil uh, in John chapter eight, verse 44. He says this, he says, he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding for the truth, for there is no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Sick burn, Jesus. Now this passage that G, this, the words of Jesus just tell us three definitive things about the devil. He is real and immaterial and intelligent being. His end goal is to spread ruin in our souls and in the society that we live in. And his primary means, the only real way that he accomplishes this, his number one weapon is lies. He lies. He is the father of lies. Lies flow through him. Lies from the devil permeate every aspect of our society. And so, second question to answer today. What are his lies about? What are his lies about? His strategy is to fill our world with lies, our culture with lies, to fill your head with lies. 
And his lies are about the things that he knows are going to be the most effective in his goals. And so first, he lies about God. He doesn't want you. God has gone to extreme lengths to help you understand who he is. This whole book about it. The Bible is, exists so that you can know God and be known by God. He introduces himself through the pages of scripture. But the enemy twists it and lies about God so that we would have great confusion around the nature of God. Look at Genesis chapter 3 verse 1. It says, he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit and the trees in the garden, but God said you should not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you should die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will surely not die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Did God really say, surely that's not what he meant? God just doesn't want you to have what he has. He's being selfish. The enemy tries to distort God's words and distort God's character on a regular basis. Did God really say, do you really think that God meant that when he wrote that? Surely he was being extreme here. Surely he just wanted to keep this power for himself. Surely we're interpreting this the wrong way. Right out of the gate, he's putting doubt in her head about the words of God and whether or not she should trust in God. He is still making the same play over and over and over again in the world that we're living in right now. He has followers of Jesus looking at the words of God and saying, I don't know, does the Bible really mean it this way? Culture is going this way. Maybe we've been interpreting scripture wrong all this time and there's a better way. Maybe this is what it really meant. Or maybe we could throw that out altogether. Maybe, what, what was God even really trying to say here? Nobody, we don't know. Nobody knows. He has us misunderstanding the character, the nature, and the words of God. He lies about God. And then he lies about you. Look at the lie the devil tells Eve. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes are going to be opened and you are going to be like God. You're going to know both good and evil. In other words, he leads her to believe that if she eats this fruit, she gets to be the one to decide what is and is not truth. What's good? What's evil? She'll be the one to decide what's best for her. She will have total control over the world around her. And so she goes forward and believes that. Adam believes the same thing. We may not have a grasp on what is good and what is evil, but we are certainly not like God. And yet that same lie has been believed in society ever since. The devil tells us lies about ourselves that bolster our pride and make us misunderstand who he is and, and really the dream that he has for us and how we live this life. But that's not the only lies he tells us about ourselves. He also tells us lies about ourselves that break us down at the same time. And these are some of his most effective lies. It's the grown man who was berated by his father and comes to believe, I am only as good as I am successful at work. It's the teenage girl who, comparing herself to the mirage of Instagram, comes to believe I am ugly and unworthy of love. It's the person who was a high-energy child and regularly scolded by their parents who now believes, I am too much for most people. 
It's the entrepreneur whose prior business failed after the betrayal of a partner who now believes everything that I do will fail and I can't trust anybody. It's the woman who was raised by an angry perfectionist mother and decades later still believes I have to be perfect in order to have peace. And that just scratches the surface. His lies about us are detailed, intricate, and expansive. We, every person I have ever known has some lie that they believe about themselves that is warping their perception of reality. And it drives their behavior. And rarely do these lies drive our behavior in a positive way, but rather they lead to the very things that we hate the most about ourselves. It is an effective strategy. And it's the enemy's biggest plan. Deceptive ideas that fill up our minds. So he lies about God. He lies about you. And then he also lies about truth itself. About the truth. Because if he can take away our understanding of the truth, then anything can be a lie. This is where we find our culture right now. The serpent's question, did God really say, echoes out through the world we live in. He's not questioning what God said. He's questioning what the words meant. Warping the simplest of sentences into something abstract that could be twisted towards our own desires. This is where we find the country that we're living in. No longer is there one strand of what is and isn't wrong or what is and isn't truth. But rather we're trained to see it all as a spectrum. My truth, your truth, relative to what feels right to me, what feels right to you. We pull apart the Bible in order to form a Christianity that sits better with our understanding of truth. The problem with all of that is that eventually nobody is actually satisfied with my truth and your truth. It's impossible to be objective in a world that is my truth and your truth. Eventually, my truth just becomes the new truth. And the other truth is seen as foolish and unwise and uneducated and uncaring. And all the ways that Christianity is depicted in the popular culture that we live in now. We see it in matters of theology, politics, sexuality, and simple matters of relationship. The devil is a liar and his strategy is deception. Deceptive ideas that are woven into every areas of our lives. And so what do we do? And the last question today, just a teaser really, as we just open this series, is how do I stand against it? If these lies have permeated every single part of the world and this devil is invisible and he's so good at lying and he has this vast army everywhere, oh my goodness gracious, what am I going to do? Well, I want you to know that there is peace for you. There is fullness in this life for you that you can experience unbelievable amounts of joy and that your enemy has a great and effective strategy, but the one who supports you has never known defeat and only knows victory. And so how do we stand against it? Well, I'm gonna reveal that through the course of this series. And I wanna show you more than just this part of the enemy's strategy. 
I want to talk about every way that he's used lies to infiltrate our society. Next week, I'm going to talk about our disordered desires. How he uses the desires that God put into you for good, disorders them and uses them for evil to work against you. We want to get them back in order so we can experience the joy they can bring us. And then we're going to talk about this society that we live in and how it is captive by sin. And I'll finish with the best strategy that I can give you to stand against all of it. So right now we're in the awareness stage. But I just don't feel comfortable revealing the devil's schemes and not giving you an easy and good means to stand against them. And so here's where you start. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10 talks about the armor of God. We're going to put on the armor of God. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and the authorities and the cosmic powers over this present. This is so important for you to understand too as we get into this series. We do not wage war against flesh and blood. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Your enemy is not a person. And it doesn't matter what the people around you believe or or the way that they're living in opposition to you. It doesn't matter how they oppose you or come against you. They're not your enemy. People are not your enemy. People are who we are called as followers of Jesus to embrace and love and care for and show value to and make them feel wanted and welcome and seen no matter who they are or what they've done. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood because people are never our enemy. Our enemy are the cosmic powers that are deceiving them, warping their minds, lying to them, showing them a version of the truth that doesn't exist. We love the people. We care for people. We pursue people. We have patience for people. We have grace for people. We want to be around people, even people that don't believe like us, think like us, look like us. They are not our enemy. Our enemy is the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. So stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and put on the breastplate of righteousness and for shoes for your feet put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace and in all circumstances take up the shield of faith which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one take the helmet of salvation the sword of the spirit which is the word of God and praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication the armor of God is pretty simple you guys faith righteousness, the gospel message, prayer and supplication, and the word of God. All we need to begin to stand firm against these tactics of our enemy and to fight back is the truth of God, his righteousness, his peace, prayer, and his word. It's the practices of Jesus. I did a message last last May where I spent an entire 40 minutes talking about how to stand against the devil. And if you need that today, you can go find it on our app. But right now, I just need you to understand 
that the armor of God is made up in the practices of Jesus. When we become like him, when we spend time with him, when we get intimate in our relationship with him, it becomes easy and even natural for us to stand up against the schemes of the devil. If you want to begin to replace the lies of the devil with the truth of Jesus, you have to know what the truth is, which means you need to know God and you need to know him well. These lies are going to be a part of every day that you live on this earth. So make sure that the practices of Jesus and the truth of God are also a part of every day that you live on this earth. Wake up every day and meet him in worship and prayer. So the first thing that you should do every day, the first thing I do every day is pray, worship, and see God's word. Because I know that the second that I leave my room, honestly, the second I roll out of bed, those attacks are gonna begin. Those lies are gonna start. John Mark, what are you doing, man? You think you got this meeting today? It's going to be a success. No, nobody trusts you, man. No, no, this is going to fail. What you're doing is going to fail. The lies start right away. So I wake up every day. I put on some worship. I always have a favorite. And it's usually something from like 15 years ago because I've memorized all the words by now. (laughs) And I worship and then I pray. My prayers are pretty, you, know, you can do prayers like this. They're simple. You don't need to get in there and pray for an hour. Maybe you do, but you can also do something like, God, just, I worship you. Thank you for letting there be breath in my lungs so that I could wake up this morning. Thank you for this day, Lord. I believe that you are good this day. I believe that whatever waits for me in this day, that there is a good God before me right now. And I just honor and praise you. In Jesus' name, I worship you today, God. You are worthy of my praise this morning. These birds outside my window declare your praises. Praise you, Lord. I ask that today as I go forward into this world, that you would protect me from the attacks of my enemy. God, that you would keep your word close to my heart, that I'll remember who you say I am, that I am fearfully and wonderfully made, that I am called and set apart for your purpose. And so use me today in that purpose, God. I'm yours. Thank you for your goodness. Jesus' name, amen. And then I'll just read whatever the verse of the day is on the Bible app. You can download for free on your phone. And I'll I'll read it. I'll try to memorize it. I'm pretty bad at it, so I'll memorize half of it or say it wrong. And then I'll go on about my day. And I'll have a longer time to study God's word and and pray later in the day. But for the morning, when I got all these little kids about to come at me, that's what I got. But it prepares my heart because now when I'm walking out of my bathroom in the morning, my, my closet's in the bathroom and I pray in the closet. I feel like that was important to say. Not, I mean, you could do it anywhere. But anyways, when I walk out of my closet in the morning, I'm wearing the armor of God and I'm ready to go and stand against the devil's schemes. And so I'm so excited to get in this series with you, to learn more of the practices of Jesus with you, to come against the strategies of our enemy with you. Because even though we are living in a time of great turmoil and darkness, there is light on the horizon. The sun is coming up. God has already declared a victory. You don't have to be afraid in this season. You don't have to be living in fear in this season. You don't have to feel like you're constantly oppressed in this season. You can take every step each day in victory in this season. And I can't wait to get into the rest of this series to talk about that with you today. Keep hope because God has declared victory over the devil. He can't steal your peace unless you let him. You can take his lies captive and make them obedient to Christ. Stick with us in this series and we're going to talk about how to do all of that. Now, if you're in here today 
and you've been living under that kind of oppression for a long time. You felt that darkness, you felt that exhaustion, and today you're just ready for a little bit of levity. You're ready for some peace. Well, Jesus said, if you come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. And he's ready for you to lay that burden on him today and to receive his rest and his peace today and to have his armor to protect you in this world. And if you're ready to enter into that relationship, it just begins with a prayer because he's already done all the hard work to bring you back into his kingdom. So if you're ready to enter into it, just pray with me this prayer today. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Heavenly Father, forgive me for my sins. Forgive me for my mistakes. Forgive me for trying to do this on my own. I need you. And I believe in you. And I believe that you've declared victory. I believe that you've forgiven me and that you've risen from the grave so that I can also be with you in paradise one day. All that I am, I give to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.